Hello everyone, welcome to the Youth Critic Podcast, I'm your host, Kel Smith, and to give a kind of explanation of the super mega episode we have on the creator, uh, we had two hosts that could not um, work out their schedule, that we couldn't work out their schedules to, for them to come together and review it, so what we did was we split it up and recorded two different sessions, and instead of it being a two-part episode, we decided just to make a big super combo, since each one wasn't long enough to make their own episode, so we decided to sub- combine them two together to a one big two-hour-plus episode. Uh, so uh, I hope you enjoy this podcast. We will have an um, interlude, music interlude that will you know separate between the two. And yeah, I hope you enjoy it. Please watch, listen to the show, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Youth Critic Podcast on the Youth Critic Network. When the war started, they protected me. Took better care of me than humans would have. They're not people, Maya. It's just programming. Ten years ago today, the artificial intelligence created to protect us detonated a nuclear warhead in Los Angeles. This is a fight for our very existence. Sergeant Taylor, we are this close to winning the war. But the AI are developing a super weapon. Retrieve it. Or they win. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Youth Critic Podcast. I am your host, Kale Smith. Joining me this week is Kyle Arking from the uh, Kyle Arking YouTube channel. Hello, everybody. Um, it's great to discuss this film that I think Kale and I are somewhat at odds about. I wouldn't say that we are on complete opposite sides, but... I think he enjoys it more than I do. <laughs> you could say we created an indifference. Yes. Um, uh, so, Kyle, what are we talking about this week? We're talking about Gareth Edwards, the creator. The creator. The creator. Uh, yes, we are back. Uh, we are back this, you know, we are back from our little bit of a six-week hiatus. Uh, we have... Not done an episode since Blue Beetle for the Youth Critic Podcast. We've been doing um, for, but to know what we've been doing for the last six weeks, we've been covering the filmography of Michael Mann. Um, Kyle just did an episode uh, for us that you'll hear late later uh, next month. Um, so that'll be cool. Um, but again, I will have more information on from the top the Ultimate Filmmakers retrospective, where we cover you know Michael Mann's filmography. I'll have that, you know, link in the description below so you can listen to the podcast. All right. So, Kyle, we are back. We are going to talk about Gareth Edwards, the creator, the original sci-fi movie, you know, probably one of the top ten most original sci-fi movies ever made. You know, I mean, just complete original, complete experimental, just, I mean, just in every capacity uh in imaginable so Kyle, I, I wasn't aware that there were other science fiction films like I, this is definitely the first one 
I mean, you know, I mean, Star Wars is a Western, you know, Star Trek is a TV show. I mean, that's not even the Twilight Zone. What is even what is what is even Twilight Zone? What what, what is Blade Runner, right? Like, yeah, what's Blade Runner? <laughs> you know, what what what's you know the Fifth Element? You know, what's Solaris? You know, what the fuck? What 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 are these? Like th- these are not these just they just don't come into my head. You know. When I'm watching the creator, you know, they just like 2001. I mean, it doesn't even take place in 2001. It's not even released in 2001. What's that even about? <laughs> okay, we're having some. Sorry, we're having some fun. We're having some fun over some tweets, you know. Um, but no, no, no. We are here to talk about Gareth Edwards, the creator. You know, the creator of science fiction. Okay, I'm done. I'm done. I'm well, done. well I, I can definitely say that this is the best science fiction film since the dark knight <laughs> i i can argue that this is the best science fiction movie since maybe star since maybe you know star wars the last jedi you know um, maybe even rise of skywalker we, we we don't know we don't know these things there has never been a better mcu movie than the creator Oh, I love it. I'm so glad John David Washington finally joins the MCU. <laughs> so happy, you know. What are we... What, okay, but yes, we are here. Okay, enough jokes aside. Uh, we love... So we're here to talk about the creator. Um, Kyle, let's just rip right into it. What did you think of the creator? Um, well... For a quick background, I will say with Gareth Edwards, I think that is one of the things that is most appealing about this film. That is, I think, the biggest eye-catcher since, um, I mean, it does have a great cast. John David Washington, Allison Janney, um, Ken Watanabe, Gemma Chen, Chan. But I think really what in when you watch the trailers, Gareth Edwards' name is all over it. Um, for me, the first Gareth Edwards film I saw was Godzilla 2014, and I wasn't really a big fan of Godzilla 2014. I think it's shot beautifully. I think that the opening of the film is just sensational, but. After Brian Cranston's no longer in the film, I think it does kind of suffer. And oh, you're one of those. Yeah, but I do really enjoy Rogue One. However, we don't quite know how much of that movie is Gareth Edwards because of Tony Gilroy. And the other day, I saw Monsters for the first time. And that is by far my favorite Gareth Edwards movie. I I think that film was just unbelievably beautiful and transcendent. And it resonated on every level for me. I just loved it to death. So going into the creator, I didn't quite know how I would feel. And I will say that I appreciate the creator. I appreciate this film because I do think that it was a film that they had. They, I mean, Gareth Edwards isn't 
Christopher Nolan. He isn't David Fincher or Scorsese or Spielberg. He's a guy that made two big, you know, one really big in terms of Rogue One um, blockbuster films, but he hadn't made a film since 2016. That is seven years, probably. I don't know when they started production on this film, but probably about five or six years between his last film and that's not an easy thing for a director of his stature to get a project like this going. Usually, you know, if you're a Fincher or Nolan, you can get an original type story like this going. But for him, that was a feat that he ended up accomplishing. I think that the VFX in this film are just that the performances, especially by the two like main actors of this project, John David Washington and um, the young actress. Are you, do you know her name? I think it's like Madeline. Madeline. Um, hold on. Madeline. You know, Voiles. She Voyles? is yeah. just, um, I mean, she's a revelation given how young she is and this being her first film. I truly think the film doesn't work without her. And then, I mean, then we get to the screenplay of the story, and that's why I think the film does falter. And I think that, if we can go into, I do think that some of it is almost beat for beat, like Rogue One. And other moments of this film not only feel derivative of other science fiction films, but feel derivative while also feeling like they don't do anything deep with that material given. And I think it's a film of missed potential. I think it's a film that could have been way better than it is. And I'm very curious to see, you know, maybe if I find out more about the behind the scenes um, of the making of the film, maybe that will make me, you know, enjoy more things. But right now, after seeing it once, I wasn't as impressed with it as I think a number of other folks have been. I think, Kale, um, you can discuss, you know, um, your thoughts because, yeah, I think I believe you really enjoyed this one. You say that as a yawn. Excuse me. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. So my my kind of you know. In tr- my way into Gareth Edwards is I saw Monsters before I saw Godzilla. Like, literally, like, two or three days before Godzilla came out. And I was very impressed with, like, his visual style. And I was very impressed with, like, the story he was telling. But much more than that, I don't really... I don't really... I wasn't... I'm not very big on Gareth Edwards. And because and also, you know, Godzilla, you know, is a movie I kind of have to warm up to because for the longest time I was on your side. I was like, yeah, that first act is incredible. And then they kill Brian Cranston. And now we're stuck with Aaron Taylor Johnson, who is, you know, is a great actor. I, I will argue that Aaron Taylor Johnson has chops, Nocturnal but you kind of, yeah, you have to as a director have a script and a like a character you have to give him a character 
like to play. You can't just like draw you 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 can't like like John David Washington kind of has here the same character that you know uh Hugh Jackman does for Logan. Um I'm blanking okay, I'm blanking on the name. Pedro Pascal, he has the same like he's basically playing the Pedro Pascal role as like dad who like dad figure who comes in to save an important child and yeah like he's playing that role here but you know in in for John John David Washington he is a actor who I think is so like has charisma and has so much range like it's kind of like he's actually kind of perfect for Gareth Edwards because Edwards is not really an actor's director like he can't really ever like he's not really good at like you know that's a good observation cuz yeah. i mean i think monsters Scoot McNeary and the other actress in that film are really um like, like you need character actors they are yeah. they're the actors that i think they are the best actors at least and also the best characters in my eyes in any Gareth Edwards film mm-hmm. but you're right when you get to Godzilla even when you get to Rogue One like I think Felicity Jones is one of our best um you know actors working today but I do think that she isn't given as much in Rogue One as say Daisy Ridley is given in Force Awakens or you know any of the other actors in any of the other Star Wars films even Diego Luna I think is given more than Felicity Jones and Rogue One. So, and even then, it's still piecemeal compared to yeah. what the character, what the actors in Force Awakens, or really the sequel trilogy, got. You know, in comparison, like Adam Driver. And- yeah, Though, like I you, mean, Ben Mendelsohn. He does have some good scenes. I will say. Yeah, you're right, and that's fair. And and this is not meant to be like a Gareth Edwards retrospective, but I mean, in order yeah. to give context for the creator, we have to kind of go through. Like, why I think the... Like, for me, I have to kind of go through it because, to me, the creator is, like, the best. It's Gareth Edwards kind of looking at his three films, looking at what worked and what didn't work, and then taking what worked and then trying to find the right, like, actors, you know, to play, like, you know, the roles he needs to fill for this movie. So he's not, like, getting an Aaron Taylor Johnson. He's not stuck with, you know, an actor who like who literally has to have like the character there on the page in order for it to work i shudder to think what the creator would be like if john david washington wasn't in it because i feel like joshua just doesn't have it as a character like he is a character that i think is at least he like as i say with the film itself he has potential but I don't think they really do much with that character until like the third act, I would say. Um, but they don't really do much with that character. And I think John David Washington tries his best to give him something to captivate the audience. Well, and also, I mean, John David Washington, you know, in comparison to, I, I, I don't have any basis to prove on this, but it seems to me that, you know, you know, Aaron, Aaron Aaron Taylor Johnson is kind of one of those actors who isn't really going to push. Like, he's not going to be like, okay, so what's my character doing? What's my, 
you know, like, what am I going to, like, I, or at least in the moment when he was making Godzilla. Like, he's pretty much just, yeah. like, I'm in a Godzilla movie. I got to just stand here and, you know, I got to I gotta just stand here and just be and do something. Like, that's my role as a character. I do a thing to do a thing. And that's not really a character in a movie. That's not, that's basically a plot yeah. device. Yeah. So... You know, so for me, like, you know, and I, and I say all this, you know, I still really like Godzilla. I think that movie functions very, very well. But I will say that, you know, when you criticize a movie, it basically comes down to, you know, you have Aaron Taylor Johnson and Elizabeth Olsen, and they have nothing to do other than be plot devices. And, like, that's... I, w- I want to point out something with John David Washington um, Joshua in the film and it's something that bugged me throughout the whole movie I'm very curious on what you think about this but I thought that it was very odd he mentions in the film how he lost everyone in his life he lost his parents he lost his family and he lost his wife he lost his unborn child this man looks like he never grieves <laughs> right like if if I I mean everyone's different but I feel like most people if they lost that many people they would be like a complete wreck yet this guy he doesn't quite feel like that to me and I don't really know who to blame on that front? I feel like it's a bit of a script issue. It's a bit of a direction issue. But it's also because, like, John David Washington himself has so much charisma that I feel it's hard for him to maybe play that depressing, you know, completely, you know, void of any hope type character, especially in this movie where it's a film that like Rogue One is about hope um, you know so I don't know for me it's I mean I think it's there on the page enough like I mean, because I mean there's so many scenes in the front half of the movie where there's flashbacks there's you know yeah. quiet montages like I think there's you know more like through montage sequencing there's more of the show don't tell and you know and to me i do believe you know and there's a moment in the movie where like um joshua he's at the pool he's basically being summoned to do this mission yeah um and the way like he's framed when he's like talking to the you know to allison janey and um the other military guy i can't remember his name but you know, the way he's framed, I mean, he's just framed, you know, in such a way to where it's kind of, not in a funny way, it's kind of done in, like, this, like, pathetic way. Like, he's a guy who's, you know, like, he's lo- like he's lower, like, he's shorter without, like, his people. Like, he's, like, he looks shorter without, like, you know, when he's saying, like, he's looking kind of like, you know, a doughy-eyed child, you know, um, again, not funny effect. It's it's more sad that, you know, it's it's all in the framing of, like, you know, you feel like he's lost, like, his wife and child. He's at the point where he doesn't really care about extinction. Mm-hmm. Like, like, you know, so... 
and in the whole and then you know after he's seeing that like weird vision at the pool or whatever whatever that thing was you see in the performance of the desperation to you know see to investigate to find his so i think it's there it's just very subtle i think the grieving I think there part is one one scene where he you see him like a tear running down his eye like he's you know thinking back but i think i personally i just wanted more there i think that there was especially when he said that line about like his family being killed in los angeles and i'm like whoa but oh so i want to so wait go ahead i was about to say well i mean that was a you know, when the robot, you know, mentions later on in the movie, when uh, Kim Watanabe mentions, like, the Los Angeles nuclear bomb event was a coding error. Yes. It's like, holy shit. <laughs> like, like to me, the reason why, like, the movie works, you know, not trying to detract, but the, to me, the reason why the movie works so well is because, you know, there's so much, there's a lot of, movies and stuff science fiction now is trying to make you know capitalize on this ai market we're about to enter into you know and you know and of course on one hand you have tom cruise and the mission impossible movies basically treating ai as like a god-like figure we have to take down um and then this movie is like well the problem you know ai is a problem but it's a problem that we made we made in ourselves in that we relied on it so much to do yeah. our basic activities that we gave it the nuclear codes so when um there was a so when there's a coding error which happens all the time in technology it happens all in cybersecurity it happens all in IT when we, you know, rely on technology so much and that a coding error is what kills thousands upon thousands of people, or millions, I guess, in this instance, you know, it's like, oh, now we have to destroy the thing we've created because of, to wash our hands of, like, how much we've relied so much on this one thing. I really did love that, um that one scene when he does mention that because it it is one of the only times I feel in the film where you do see that there's a little there's more to what's going on like the fact that the humans are using some robots as ways to fight the other robots um mm-hmm. There's something there, but they don't really go into that, right? Like, we don't really see... Like, the robots never even mention that. Like, they never say to the, like, say, John David Washington, Joshua character, they say, oh, well, you guys are now using us against ourselves. Like, there isn't a conversation there. Um, nor is there really much of a conversation after they mention the whole human coding era, where I think that they could have gone even deeper into that. But I do really, I thought that was a really great moment. Um, I, I mean, I, I think for me, I thought that, like, the technology itself, it was interesting that, well, two of the things I really liked. One was the fact that you, they were 
taking like human DNA and they were putting it on these robots' faces themselves. So you were the getting... exoskeleton. It was kind of like Westworld. Exactly. And you do have that, but the difference is that it was more like readily available. So you would have Gemma Chan and her face was on random droids or um, robots and it was like that is such a strange and bizarre thing like why would someone do that well it's bizarre to us because we're living in a world where actors are currently on strike well as of this recording yeah um as of this recording uh i mean well actors are currently on strike to prevent or to minimize that you know, or or to negate like you know the the side effects of that you know that idea. So it's weird to us that they mark that there's a movie that's basically like you know there's marketing of like to sell your likeness or to donate your likeness. I mean, so and it, it's weird to us, but to me, I feel like that's you know, I mean. I feel like that's where we're heading, like, no matter what. Like, we're going to head into this where we're... I mean, we just saw it in The Flash where we use dead people's likeness yeah. to have cameos in a, in a $200 million bullshit movie, you know? So I feel like that's... I feel like Edwards is just trying to, like, comment on, like, the bizarroness of, like, our world with AI and our yeah. relationship to it right now. Like, it's bizarre that, you know, like, it's bizarre that in, that there's hubris in that humans think that they can still keep the upper hand when real, and that, or even worse, that, you know, AI is just the same, you know. Yeah. Like, there's, you know, also, there's, like, this great line at the pool scene, too, where Alice and Janie has about, like, you know, Neanderthals get a bad rap because they rape and pillage or whatever. But they were, you know, also smart. They created arts and crafts, you know, for the dead. You know, they did, you know, there's a whole section and it's like, it's like Gareth Edwards is like having this conversation of like, you know, of like, just look at what humans have done throughout history and now they're basically facing the karmic, the karmic like level punishment of like you know because they have done so much they've done they've wronged so many cultures and so many to the point where i mean we later see in the movie they invade countries they you know imperialize new asia you know they're not at war with new asia but they can just pop right in and then use their you know evil spaceless their evil space laser to blow up different places in new asia um, so there, so it's like that whole scene is like, you know, like, you know, you, like, you would, uh, like, I cannot see an audience member falling for that, but then, you know, but it's such a perfect, like, dichotomy, like, double standard of, like, what I the do, movie is. What? I, I do think that some of the... I guess you could say technological breakthroughs in this world. I like that they were beneficial. So like, for instance, you had the one that was um, plugging someone's memories into the back of a robot head and stuff. And then you could actually get 
their last moments or like extra moments have an earlier final conversation with someone exactly i thought that was really really new like i mean i the, i don't recall any science fiction film or show i've seen that has had that in there and I, like i really appreciated seeing that but i thought that was a really cool idea of having something that wasn't like for the worse because i mean you can look at say like if you give a robot a weapon and you give them this weapon that they can kill people with like a cannon or like a chainsaw attached to their body you think to yourself why would they create this of course they might use it for like you know hardware or trying to put things together but at the end of the day it will be used to harm others the fact that they have created this technology for the betterment of society, that, I think, adds to more of the, I think, depth of it all. Because donating a likeness, that isn't, you know, harming anybody really. I mean, of course, you can confuse people who this person is, and then it goes into more so, like, morals and what should be right and what should be humane but I do think that some of the things they go for here they I think they, I, some people have said that this movie you know it's pro AI right like all these all these robots are being attacked and they want to be free but then again I think it's also showing that sometimes what we create you know isn't always bad like we are capable of creating things that are for the good but then there are also things that could occur that you know could cause either coded errors or cause mass extinctions well to me it's like it's a more nuanced take like when I hear the poll pro AI conversation you know it's like, I think they're not, like, kind of understanding, like, how, like, the nuance of the movie, which is that, like, to me, like, AI, like, you know, like, I think Edwards has a more nuanced take in that, like, technology is a tool. Like, you know, like, AI, mm-hmm. like, Edwards is a visual effects guy. He's a, you know, VFX, or he started out as a VFX artist working from home. You know, and now he's a filmmaker. So for him, it's he's a tech guy kind of looking at all this, you know, and a lot of tech people that I know and that talk about AI, you know, they don't really fear it as much as they fear how it's going to get abused or how it's going to get yeah. used. And I feel like that's still kind of like the, and also kind of looking at the SAG strike and even the most recent WGA strike. Um, what people are more afraid of is what people or what people really should be more afraid of is how AI is going to be abused. And I feel like that's what Edwards is trying to say through the movie is that, you know, technology is a tool that is getting kind of like, you know, once it develops intelligence, it's going to have a life on its own. So it really should not be abused or not should be overused yeah. Or a, or a you know a, like a reliant or it shouldn't be used yeah. as a you know rut to hold a pillar to hold society 
because it's something that could fuck. It's still something that could fuck up. It could still. It's something that could still be. You know, it could collapse under its own weight. It still has fallacy. It still has, you know, mistakes. You know, I mean, just look at, you know, I mean, look at your, you know, all the laptops you've used and, you know, have gotten viruses or they just died out within a year or two or whatever. Like, look at the technology. Like, it, you know, like, eventually this thing will crap out and you'll have to spend hundreds of dollars or, I guess, an AI robot millions of dollars to replace it. I think what I love was the opening of the film because it shows you that you know, evolution of the technology itself, of how we see, you know, all these commercials of what AI or, you know, any robotic machine can do, and then you get up to... You're kind of muffled. Oh, sorry. (laughs) My finger was over the mic. Um, But, yeah, I really love the beginning because it shows you this, like, almost dreamlike sense of wonder. Kind of like when you look at the 50s and people looked up at the, you know, the Jetsons and I don't think the Jetsons were in the 50s, but, um, you know, when you had those futuristic ideas, these shows, these movies of what the future could look like. And you see that in the beginning of the film with these robots. And then it just cuts to this congressional hearing. And it's like, you know, we have now banned the use of any robots in... What did they say? The United States? Or you said all of the world, right? Um, all of Western uh, civilization. Yeah. So basically, the U.S., Canada, Mexico, um, Europe, and probably all the way to like Africa or close to like the Middle East, because New Asia is the only place um, that is still going to harbor AI, and and they make a you know and they make a point in the way that you know we made a point to say I think in the early two thousands we're not at war with you know. We're not at war with New Asia, like we're not at war with Iraq or Afghanistan, but you know we're still going to go over there and, but we're still going to go over there and target AI. <laughs> you know we're still going to go over there and target Nirmata or whatever Nirmata. Uh, so you know it's it's that same like you know Gareth Edwards is like using that same like parable that we used like in post nine eleven you know in terminology so. excuse me so it's very so to me it's very very like so to me it's already like interesting to lead up and then of course we get to uh josh and maya um you know they're you know like hippies on this you know beach in new asia they're you know having this nice you know you know and what i love about this moment and this fraction of the movie is we get this beautiful love story and basically see the disillusion of it, you know, because in the disillusion of it, because Josh is not willing to admit, you know, he's not willing to set aside his own prejudices. Excuse me. So. I will say that 
one of my first like frustrations with the film and this is where it starts to tie into Rogue One <laughs> because both this movie and Rogue One essentially open up with this family that has begun closed off in this part of the world and one is trying to you know somewhat escape you know another entity coming after them and then sure enough one of the members of that family is killed by the entity that finally found them and came after them and that is where I do think this film could have maybe been a bit longer with developing the relationship between um, Joshua and Maya because I do think when they're introduced when uh, Maya is introduced I don't think we get enough of her I don't feel as as attached to this character as I feel like the film wants me to feel it shows her feeling betrayed by him being you know one of the soldiers that's undercover mm-hmm. but I do wish they maybe had five or so minutes of their just daily life and then you find out that he is you know an undercover agent because they kind of jump right into it like the like they're in the bed and then they hear a noise and it's um, Ken Watanabe and his other robot friends coming in with the you know colleague of Joshua's mm-hmm. and it's like that for me it, it, it was too quick like it the pace in that beginning just is way too quick for me for me to settle on the film and it isn't until I feel you know we get more of just Joshua's daily life like when he five years later is with um, the other worker and they're trying to pick up the remnants of the L.A. bombing. And that is when I'm like, okay, now I'm getting into it. But the real emotional hook of this film is that scene when she dies. And I just think it happens too fast. And I think we don't get enough time with these characters for me to feel anything in that moment. Um, for me, it's, you know, I'm, I I feel slightly different. I think there's, uh, I I hate it for Gemma Chan because she really is, I do, I will stand by this. Like, she is a great actress. Oh, yeah. Um, and again, she's got a movie where she has nothing to do, you know, in post-Eternals. Um, and... And honestly, her move and she basically is like the Aaron Taylor Johnson of this movie, where she kind of is a plot device, yeah, to motivate yeah. Josh to she's do. She's the literal title of the film. <laughs> yeah, she she's a literal plot device. She's the title. <laughs> um. So, but I think her role in the movie it serves enough. It serves well enough. Um. Just because you know, you do get this, you know, there's enough, like, visual imagery, there's enough, like, stuff of, like, her running and leaving, you know, 
you know, there's like the, the I think there I do agree that would be kind of nice to have like a five to ten minute scene of just like the day in their lives. But I think what we get is enough just because this movie has to be like it has to be, you know, a two hour movie. Uh, so I think there's enough there to where and there's enough of like Zimmer's score when she's like leaving and she's on the boats and she's hit with like a nuclear warhead or whatever or whatever that warhead is, you know, and I, I, I don't know. I think there's just, just enough to make it work, but I will say though, um, but I will say though, like I, I do wish like Gimma Chin was like more in this movie, but again, this kind of goes back to like what I say about, you know, Gareth Edwards. He's, I think Gareth Edwards has like precisely engineered this movie enough to where, like, he, you know, has everything, like, you know, he knows exactly what works in his movies and what doesn't work. So mm-hmm. if there's a, so if he hires an actress in the, or an actor or an actress in this movie that's, like, not, you know, the most charismatic, or they have to have, like, a character, like, like, the character has to be there on the page for them to work, you know, um, and he hires an actress that just can only do that, then, you know, it was smart on his end to basically be like, okay, we're going to put Maya, you know, as this object to chase, you know, and then when we meet her again, she's in a coma. Like, that's the smarter play versus, you know, because again, this is a movie where it works to, it has all of Gareth Edwards' strengths working on full 100%. Like, he finally has an actor that, you know, is just charismatic and just has enough range to where, you know, to where he can just use them to basically create the character, where he can kind of day-to-day, like, figure out what what Joshua's character is. Mm -hmm. Um, And then everything else, like, you know, you know, Kim Watanabe's character is a plot device to give, to be wise sage and exposition, and then uh, Madeline's character is base, is a plot device to be, you know, a character that doesn't really have an arc. And and look, I'm saying all these things to be, you know, you can say these are all detriments. Like these are all things that really are strikes, and they really are, because if you don't, because if because if you like if you if if everyone's a plot device in your movie, then they're not really characters. Yeah. But I think what makes the creator just work, like just a little bit more over the edge for me, is that I believe John David Washington enough that he will go in all over New Asia to find his wife, and then he will go, and then this child will go with him. Well, this is okay. So I, I'm I'm wondering about this because we see earlier in the film that he has done this. He's looked for his wife and he thought that she was on the train but it turned out to be one of the people that she donated her face to yes at this point though don't you think that he would be like you know well if he saw like someone that looked like her in a hologram wouldn't he be reluctant to be like how do I know she's real I guess He's because she, you know, people that have her face. I guess because she's not having like all the back like mechanics and stuff in the hologram. 
But then, even then, like that hologram is very sketchy. <laughs> like you can't really see she shit. Have the ring in the hologram, she had the ring. Oh, she might have. I I wasn't looking that super super closely. It's hard to Which see. Which makes me think that if that's the case, like was it maybe it was manufactured by, you know, Alice and Janney and them to. Oh, it definitely was ma- manufactured. Yeah. So. That would be an interesting, like, they are now manufacturing, like, their own ideas of the robots themselves to make this guy go along with them. To push their agenda. Yeah. So, I mean, that's something that you can chew on. What did we think of Alice and Janney's character? Because I thought, I mean, Alice, it was really fun to see her in a role like this. We just never see her in a role like this. Um... I did want more from her. Like, I feel like she's more so one note. She, I mean, she has a little bit of a backstory, but I, I wanted to see her, I don't know, have one more scene with John David Washington. Like, you know, traditional, they capture him and she, she has like one more conversation. But in the case of this film, she really just has like a moment where, She's like, you know, put down the weapon, and then they blow her up, which is a great death. She has a great death in this movie. It's per oh, it's a really good death, and it's so satisfying. And when I saw this at Beyond Fest um, earlier last week, it got the biggest cheer. Like her death was so like, because I mean, you have that scene earlier where she manipulates a robot into thinking like it's you know a different person and then she kills it once it's revealed to her who she's been revealing information to mm-hmm. uh so you i mean it's just a good like that is such a good like you know villain thing and she's you know manipulated this whole entire mission to where she gets you know her uh nimrata you know, and it's, I don't know, I just felt like it was such a great, you know... And also it's like a callback to the beginning when you have that one character, or near the beginning, when you have that one character that gets the bomb on the back of them and they blow up the helicopter, mm-hmm. which I remember when I saw it, I was like, oh wait, they're just going to do the same thing to her. But I love that they had Alfie try and save her. And then... The um, soldiers like she she's trying to activate it, and then they tamper with it, and once again, it's a human error. It is. So uh, that was a that was I think really clever on their part. It it was a great scene. We should um let's talk about Alfie because I thought like for me it's the relationship between her and Joshua that I think carries this film. I do think that that last moment between them even though once again it's very rogue one to me you know he's trying to get on the top of this structure to stop it and then sure enough um you know he has to he has to send somebody away as the you know the whole place beyond him is going to blow and he's going to be destroyed by the same weapon that you know he's trying to destroy himself mm-hmm. um but that moment, though, that, you know, he's saying, you know, now I will go to heaven, you know, because of you. And John David Washington acts that out so beautifully 
but it's also, you know, Madeline's performance that, you know, you really do feel like she's like, this is my father now at this point. And it's very Logan. It's, you know, it's very much that, you know, child relationship that we see in other father-child um, movies or shows. But it's a really great scene. And um, what did you think of, like, just Alfie as a character and her progression throughout the film? For me, it's, you know, she's not, she doesn't really have much of a character other than to mm-hmm. stare and to smile. But her role in this movie is like, you know, she, it's, it's the same as like all these other children. Like they, like they're all learning. They're all learning like whose role is who. They don't really have a proactive role in it, but I do agree though that at the end of the movie, when it matters, you know, you know, she learns to trust, you know, Joshua, not like as a father, but just like as like another, but not as a father, but as a father figure, you know, and I know those things can be intertwined, but like, but it's very much, you know, more father figure. And I do love the ending where the, it, everything just kind of happens perfectly where they get on the spaceship, they go to um, Nomad, and um, it's basically his, Gareth Edwards' version of the um, the trench run in A New Hope. Like, they just have yeah. to get, they have to blow up the Death Star. Um... You know, they have to blow up the thing. And I I do... What I love about the movie, though, is, like, it's allegorical. Because there's this whole idea of, like, God and, you know, Nimrata. You know, it's like this God of AI, the creator. And to me, it's, you know... What I love about, you know, this whole thing is... This whole movie has been this, like, balance of... You know, Josh and me, Maya, like, because if Maya is not, is very much human, but she very much might as well be the creator of AI. You know, she might as well be, like, she creates new life for AI. So she is very much the mother of this. And so her, so Josh and Mia, like, coming together to make this baby. And then that baby be a clone, and then Alfie be the clone of that to be, it's, I love, like, the symbolism of, like, the you know humanity like ai and humanity survival and you know one chance to be together is brought together by two like the two sides the mother and father yeah um of humanity and it's like you know i like it's brought together in by true love which actually is the name of the cue that hans Zimmer scored for the end of this movie like it's mm. named true love and that's the original title of this movie too Oh really? <laughs> mm-hmm. It was true love the for for the longest time, and then it became the creator. Um, till like earlier this year. Title, I wonder how that title would have gone. If they call. I, I I don't think it. I don't think, think it would have either. But it. But like in terms of the story, like it is like what true love that brings yeah. together humanity and AI and destroys the the Death Star, if you will. Um, and... The creator sounds more sci-fi, you know, like the true love. That could just be, you know, your could be a rom-com, Sparks film, you know. 
exactly. So. Yeah, and, and so like to me, like you know, to me, the ending is what brings it all together. Because up to this point, it's like it's like death and destruction. We see a lot of Easterners, you know, get blown, like incinerated left and right, like throughout this movie, and yeah. to an, an uncomfortable degree. Um, well, and so the, to end the movie with like, you know, humanity and AI joining together, you know, to destroy the one thing that, you know, basically separates them, which is this the nomad, the Death Star, you know, and to finally make it equal ground for humanity and to see like the new Asia people like rejoice and cry you know, and celebratory and to even see like, you know, Madeline, you know, see like the symbolism of M, which is, you know, mother Maya. Like, I don't know. There's just something very powerful about just all that coming together and just overwhelmingly. And then of course, I mean, Hans Zimmer's, you know, very triumphant score. Um, just like, so to me, you know, to answer your question about Alfie, I don't think she has much of a character, but I don't, but that kind of thing doesn't matter to me, if that makes sense. Because the movie, because everything's like working on a hundred. I really liked, for me, the idea that she was a clone of the embryo itself, because once again, I, I enjoyed when the film didn't feel derivative of other you know, science fiction movies. And for that moment, I mean, it did feel like they were in a way before they revealed that I was like, is she their baby? Like, is she actually a product of, you know, Joshua and Maya and somehow they actually gave birth to an actual, you know, robotic child and I was titan like, be- in the titan yeah. well i was thinking of like later on her 2049 because like that that is basically what that movie is implying and um i was like oh wow that'd be interesting but they they made it more so a copy which made more sense too and it also it doesn't take away from the death of the unborn child, which I think works really well too, because you know they could have just said, you know, uh, well, this is the same kid, but I mean, it, it is a clone of the embryo. I don't think it is exactly the same. So it's it's something that I really did enjoy. I thought that was one of the best parts of the movie. I I also thought it was cool how it was separated into like segments and sections. So it was like the first one, I forgot what was the first one. Well, there was one that was like friend, the creator, the child, the child, which I immediately was like, okay, that's Mandalorian. Yeah. I mean, this movie, and that's kind of like the unfortunate <laughs> thing about this movie is like, it's a, it's what like uh, Sage Hyden from Just Right, his like title isn't has kind of conf- made it is the dadding of like the dadding of video games or now it's like uh, movies and television us, yeah. with last mm-hmm. of us you know um you know you the walking dead a little bit um you know logan um 
uh, what else? There's another one. The, oh, oh, the Mandalorian. Yeah. Mandalorian. So, I mean... But, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's something that we're seeing more and more very recently, and I, I, I do... I feel like for me, it's not really, that's not really my issue. Like, my issue is more so the fact that this is so similar to Gareth Edwards' last film, Rogue One, that it's like, I would have liked to see them try something even far different from that. Like, when you look at, say, Christopher Nolan, he makes Tenet, and then he makes Oppenheimer, two very different films. Um,. And that's kind of what I wanted from this movie, but like I'm like, there's a Death Star, there's a Death Star in this film, which I didn't know there would be. Like the trailers, I don't think really showed you what like Nomad could do, but I thought that was so funny because I was like, oh my god. <laughs> but I really did like the usage of it though. I liked how like those blue beams would shine and it. It was silent too. It wasn't like you know, like they they didn't make these noises that you're used to. Like they actually, like I remember when I first saw it. I don't know your reaction, but that was a really striking, you know, visual when it's just like shining for the first time, and it's almost like there's some type of structure above them or like a helicopter above them that's shining but then you realize no it's from the actual you know sky <laughs> which is i thought um really cool well i mean edwards has been really good at scale and it's kind of yeah. been the thing that everyone kind of keeps harping on and i kind of love it like it's you know and i kind of love that it's everywhere like it's everywhere you can see in the sky like you know at any given yeah. point like it's in Los Angeles, but you can also see it in New Asia. Like it doesn't matter where you're at, but you can see it anywhere. And it gives like this omni, you know, present like, you know, it's everywhere. Like it can attack anywhere. It can attack in Los Angeles. It can attack Yeah. It, it can attack in Miami. You can attack anywhere. Like it's Yeah. Like, I mean, it's like I love like you know and I love that it's like human created. It's a it's a Western idea of like we're gonna build this thing as a you know as a way of like you know of holding the arms race essentially you know we're gonna build the big bomb you know that you know not to not to go back to oppenheimer but we're gonna hold the big bomb and we're gonna you know wave it in front of the world it's like you can't mess with us like you know and then you know the only way in and of course in response like the only way to bring but you know, equalization is to either build a bigger bomb or take the bigger, take the bigger bomb out. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I love these ideas. I love like the ideas in, you know, and, and, you know, it's funny, Kyle, when I was walking out of the screening of beyond fest, I was telling my friend, Jean, um, that basically, you know, holy shit, like Gareth Edwards finally got to make a star Wars movie. <laughs> Like, he got oh to make his Star God. Wars movie. Like, you know, like, it took him, like, you know, a decade to do it, but he finally got to do it. Like I do wonder, like, it's it's probably just a crazy theory, but I'm interested if, like, the idea of this movie was Gareth Edwards' 
after you know the Rogue One um, production being like, okay, now I'm gonna really make my Star Wars movie. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I'm gonna make what I'm, actually was gonna be my planned Rogue One movie. Yeah, and like he set out to make it, and I mean he brought along Kiri Hart, one of the producers of this film. She was on the Lucasfilm Story Group for a number of years during the start of. Um, you know the Disney era, and Chris and, Weitz was the writer of this movie or co-writer. Mm-hmm. I mean, you had Greg Frazier, and you really did have that team. The only difference is, you know, Hans Zimmer came on board. I'm surprised he didn't bring on Alexander Desplat, <laughs> but he, maybe Alexander Desplat canceled doing the score, just like he canceled doing the score when Rogue One was coming out, and they brought on Michael Giacchino to do that score so here's an interesting tidbit about the music uh edwards i guess like in theme like was having a creative spark of you know this his ai movie was he was gonna have originally you know he was gonna hire a company that specialized in ai generated uh music to replicate like zimmer style oh no Uh uh-huh right you're seeing where i'm going with this and then I guess and Edwards like he says like the results were fine but he said you know what I'm gonna go with you know I'm gonna actually see if Hans Zimmer would actually do it oh my god yeah so that's how like pro like that's how you know he was like trying to like you know push the technology a little bit but yeah I guess those pro AI things which I mean I that don't definitely would have not gone well no, and that, I think he made the smart decision. Coming out in the midst of the strikes, like, oh my goodness. Thank goodness that didn't happen. Which, I mean, to be... F- which, I mean, here's the thing about the Hans Zimmer score, I will say. I do... There are certain cues I do love this from the, you know, his score, but it's not really... Memorable? His music... Yeah, it's not really memorable, and it's not really that present in the movie. Nor is it really that different from what he's done before funnily enough it sounds more like his batman begins um dark knight type score but i think it's part of like the james newton howard section of the scores for those films because like if we think about some of those themes that they play in those movies one of them being, like, say, Harvey Dent's theme. It's more triumphant, heroic, and that's what I get out of this score at times. And I'm like, this is a side of Hans Zimmer that we haven't heard in a while. You know, like, lately he's been really, really unique in what he's pushed. Like, the Dune score, for instance, which sounds, you know, very different from his other scores but here, it this one sounds more like Hans Zimmer's scores, I would say, from like the early 2000s. Um, it's like his last samurai also starred Ken Watanabe and Batman Begins. Um, but yeah, like I, I heard the score. I haven't listened to the whole thing again, but um, I wasn't that impressed with it. I do like the theme that plays. I think it's called... Uh, no, I can't remember, but it's the theme that plays when they flip the 
the car over at the end. Oh, um, I know which one you're talking about. I don't remember it either, but I've heard that one. It's good. It's like, um, oh, standby. That's what it is. It's standby. standby. Yeah, that's it. And then true love is like, I mean, it really is triumphant. It could be a little bit more operatic because it is a. It's supposed to be like your, you know, crescendo for the movie. Um, and also. Gareth Edwards is such a cheeky filmmaker because he uses Claire de Lune um, as part of the score. And of course, everyone knows that Claire de Lune is like part was used as part of the marketing for Godzilla Kings, King of the Monsters. Oh my goodness. I'm glad I'm not the only one that caught that. I, and it's used in the credits, Kale. It's used yeah. twice. Yeah, it's used twice. I'm like... You are such a cheeky bastard. Like, you... <laughs> like, I, I don't know what Edwards' thoughts on uh, Godzilla 2 are, but... Uh, I, I, But that is a nice, like, nod. If you, if you want to be nice. Like, that's a very nice nod to, like, have Claire de Lune be, like, in you know, so instrumental to your movie and then it also be so instrumental to Godzilla Kings of the Monsters. Which in a way that film was kind of like this is not a Gareth Edwards Godzilla movie. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like, especially when that trailer was released and it was like, you know, you can actually see the monsters this time. It's all colorful and beautiful. Like, the, the destruction is all in your face. I, I thought it was funny, though, because when I went to see it in theaters, they actually played the Godzilla Minus One trailer in front of this movie. And I was like, wow. If only there was, like, a Star Wars trailer that they could have also played, but no, there's no Star Wars movie coming out for a number of years, so they couldn't do that. They, I mean, they could have maybe played, like, an Ahsoka clip or something, but... I mean, it is Fox, and Fox is owned by Disney, so... Yeah, but they have, like, Amazon ads in the the Regal now. It's so weird, because, like, they made the trailer for Gen V in front of, um... In front of, um, the creator, and... Oh, that's interesting. It's very violent. The trailer has a lot of blood and guts and stuff, but they still bleep out the language. And I'm like... Why are you doing one or the other? But then I say to myself, hold on a second. Do they play this in front of, like, Paw Patrol, too? Like, (laughs) does a parent walk into Paw Patrol, the mighty movie or whatever it's called, and they see a trailer for Gen V? Like... (laughs) Did we step in the Saw X again? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God. We stepped in the Saw X again ten years later. 10, yeah, 13 years later, we're, <laughs> did you hear that story that, like, a bunch of parents went to take their children to Megamind, and they accidentally got in a screening of Saw 3D? Well, was it Megamind or Madagascar? 3D? Oh, no, Megamind. I remember there was a Madagascar incident. Uh, that might have been for Saw 5, but... Uh, yeah, but for Saw 3D, yeah. So they got to see, like, so a bunch of kids were watching, like, the first five minutes of Saw, and they're like, you know, oh my gosh. 
you know. Does the film open up with like a like horribly I gruesome? Yeah, yeah. I, I have no idea. I've never seen a Saw movie, so yeah. I mean, I've only seen the first. That's admirable. Um, I can't. I can't sit through another one. I can't. <laughs> Yeah, I'm good. I mean, I, I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's fun to be had, um, but that's not my thing, um, and we probably will not talk about. Unfortunately, I have to... those are the two movies, Paw Patrol and Saw, that you know made more money this weekend than this this film. And Paw Patrol was number one. Yeah, yeah. I mean. With... Mm. It is what it is. It's a shame that, you know, a film like The Creator that is original can't, you know, get that audience to see it. But, I mean, I don't know what they could have done with the marketing to really push the film. I think it hurt that the the cast itself just isn't that cast. That gets people, like, if, you know, you had, you know, maybe say a Michael B. Jordan or a... You know, Meryl Streep or Helen Mirren in the you know in the cast. Even then, I don't know if those would have worked. But like, well, and also, I mean, we have to we have to state for the record that I mean, we're still recording during the SAG strike, so the actors themselves they cannot promote Very the movie. True. You know, I mean, the only reason Gareth Edwards was out promoting the movie is that he's the director and he's kind of forced, you know, by DGA, you know, contract, you know, so, um, and it's been kind of, and I love Gareth Edwards and I think it's very admirable that he's like promoting the movie as much as he can, but Gareth Edwards kind of seems like he's, he's kind of like this, this nerd, like, and I mean this in the nicest way. Yeah. He's kind of like, you know... Like, you really are kind of seeing so much of a nerd. Like It's like, you know, a nerd trying to be like, look, I made this cool science project. I love Gareth Edwards. Like, I think even though... Yeah, I say this in all niceness. Yeah, even though I do think that, like, Godzilla, you know, it's not one of my favorite films. I, I do really love Rogue One. I love Monsters. And... This film I do somewhat like. I don't love it as much as, you know, I think others do. But I think he's, you know, he knows what he's making. He knows how to use scale, how to really deliver an enjoyable and immensely entertaining experience, which is something that I I think that, you know, some other directors... Um, Yep, yep. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually did see. I rewatched Elysium after seeing this film, and I do. Oh, why did you watch? Wait, why did you watch Elysium? Like, why? Why did you? Oh, why did you watch Elysium? Because, like, well, why did you bring has... that up? You know, t- <laughs> <laughs> why did you bring that up for you know no reason at all? You know, t- um, that's pretty but random. No, um... Yeah, no, I really do love the way that, like, if you watch interviews with Gareth Edwards, he comes across as a very humble and very intelligent man that I I really can't wait to see what he does next because I do think that I would like to see him do something more different. I don't know, like, he might still want to stay in the sci-fi 
realm, but maybe like tell a story about I don't know. Uh, I can't think of. Let him do a let him do a musical like. Yeah, give him give him Joker three. You know, like <laughs> give him something completely out of left field. Let him direct Mamma Mia three. Uh, God. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, I, I really want to see that movie. I, I, I'll be d- there day one. I didn't see the first two Mamma Mia's in theaters, and I oh. regret that decision. But oh, that's a shame. I will be there for three. I'll yeah. be there opening night. <laughs> you know what? I got a better one. Let Gareth Edwards direct a Muppets movie. Oh my like, gosh. Like, just let him do a Muppets. Like, let him do, am I man or a Muppet? Like, just, I don't know. Just, like, let him do, like, let him just have, like, have, I don't, and, and look, I'm I'm joking all around. Like, he should direct whatever he wants. He's, I mean, to in, in all fairness, like, Rogue One is, like, one of the most successful movies ever made. Like, mm-hmm. he should have, like, a blank check to do whatever he wants. And it's, it's not just because it came out a year after... Force Awakens. It is a, you know, genuinely good, at least in my eyes, movie that is also really entertaining. Yeah, no, if it was, yeah, no, if it was as bad or if it was like as mismanaged as like people said it was, people would not have went multiple times to see it. You know, it would not have, it it wouldn't have had the legs it had to cross $1.5 billion. So... No, I, I, and also, I mean, Godzilla, the other one, you know, you might not like it, but it still was a good, big size hit. So, yeah. I mean, so people do like his stuff. Um, I don't know. Like, and also, I mean, the creator's success, it kind of did get, it had a nice release date. Like, it was, it had a nice release date, like, all by itself, but then Paw Patrol got delayed, you know, from summer to this date. And then uh, Saw X saw, you know, that they were going to compete with Five Nights at Freddy's. So they moved up a month so they could have the entire month of October to play. Uh, so it just kind of got, you know, screwed over. And there's no really good time to release this movie. Like, you can't release it, like, in January or February. Or people are going to wonder if it's, like, a bad movie. And... Um, and I don't know if, like, they were trying to finish this movie for festival season, um, and it just didn't happen, so, I, I don't know, like, this was the best shot it had, and it just kind of got blown over by two sequels. Yeah. Alright. I think we've blown enough load on the creator. Um, the one thing I oh. want to mention before we end it is, I think my Honestly, my favorite part about this movie is the needle drop of Radiohead's Everything in the Right Place. Oh, when they're, like, on the sky plane heading to New Asia? Yeah. You know what? That's also from the trailer of The Accountant. That's where I knew it from. I mean, it's from Vanilla Sky, but I, I just... Okay, yeah. That, that. A, a trailer that's not really iconic, but that song, but that needle drop is so like, in, it works so well with the trailer. 
Yeah. Um, I, I just loved it in the movie because it's the one that actually felt to me like it, you know, really belonged there. Some of the times I heard a needle drop in the film, I was like, hold on. Like, this movie takes place how many years in the future? And this is what they're listening to. It, I don't know. So, something felt off to me about some of the deal drops, but that one just hit perfectly. And I think it should have been used in the trailer. Because the whole, like, Aerosmith, Dream On, you know, Steven Tyler. like The remix. That, type, that remix of that song, just, it didn't work for me in the trailer. I was like, why is this here? <laughs> I mean, I think this like the composition itself works, like it has momentum. But I agree that it is kind of odd. To, it's an odd distraction of like, wait, dream, wait, Aerosmith is. They went with Aerosmith. It's like their slow trailer song. Exactly, yeah, slow foreboding trailer song. <laughs> um, so I get it. Um, that would be interesting. Like Radiohead, okay, you know. Uh, I don't know, I, but I love the trailers. Like, I genuinely, especially the last, like, trailer that showed, I think, at Comic-Con. Like, I think that was, to me, like, your best shot, you know, with everything that was there. And, you know, and I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Like, the creator, it, yeah. Uh, it, we could go on and on about the marketing <laughs> of this movie. Okay, was there anything else you wanted to say before we left? Before we, no, mm. I, I'll just end it off saying that I think, I mean... I do like parts of the creator. I think Gareth Edwards did deliver a film that has its, you know, entertaining moments. And I mean, overall, I do think that he did make a movie that he set out to make and it's the movie that he wanted to make. And that should be commended because I don't believe there really was much studio, you know, interference or really anything saying that, you know, Gareth, this is the movie that, we want you to make not the movie that you want to make so i think being an original film it should be you know commended especially with the vfx with what they kind of innovate especially we didn't even talk about the cameras the fact that they're using these four thousand dollar cameras um so i mean there's a lot to really discuss and that's you know a great great part about sci-fi itself um, I, but I do wish that there was more to the film. I do wish that it had, I think, more meat on its bones, especially in regards to the AI into the characters. Um, but yeah, like it's, I, I don't think it's, um, you know, one of the worst movies of the year or anything. And I don't think it's, you know, in, uh, in fact, if, if I rewatch it later on and, I might enjoy it even more. I think even some of the points you brought up, Kale, were really insightful. So, yeah, it was a great time. Yeah, on the podcast. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right. Um, yeah, um, I agree with all that. Okay, so with that, Kyle, where can the good people find you? And do you have anything to plug in? You can find me on my YouTube channel, Kyle Arking, um, and you can also find me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Arking Kyle. That's capital A R K I N G capital K Y L E. And I will not be referring Twitter to its new name. 
<laughs> so, <laughs> Brand um, X. Brand X. Yeah, but in terms of plugging anything, um, Ahsoka is ending tomorrow night as of this recording. So look out for my Ahsoka series review on my YouTube channel. And yeah. Exactly. And then you can find me on Twitter at MovieKale. So um, we might be back for The Exorcist Believer next week. I am not quite 100% sure. Um, I've done an Exorcist retrospective. So I'm I'm all like willing to do this movie. It's just a matter of uh, getting people to uh, join in. Um, Let's see what we can do. Um, And then when we and then, you know, when I'm going to see the movie, because I'm not 100 percent sure when I'm seeing Exorcist Believer um, just yet. Uh, But uh, we'll let you know. But as for now, please check out my new um, retrospective series uh, from the top, the Ultimate Filmmakers Retrospective where we cover the, for the first season of this um, show, we cover the whole filmography of Michael Mann um, in lead up to Ferrari. Um, and uh, Kyle has been on the Public Enemies podcast, you know, that's coming up. And as of this episode, we've done all the way up to The Insider. Uh, so, and you can hear, see some of like, um, some of the usual youth critic people, or you can listen to some of the usual youth critic guests that we've had on here. Um, they show up on the show. Um, please give us a look, you know, a look, a listen. Um, and, um, and that podcast drops every Wednesday, um, by the way. Thanks, everyone. Um, we'll be back with you very soon for either Exorcist or uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Bye. All right, Kyle. Yeah, it's just a kid. Are you going to heaven? No. You gotta be a good person to go to heaven. So, we're just saying we can't go to heaven because you're not good. And I'm not a person. Do you have any idea what the thing is? She looks like a little girl now, but she's growing. Whoever has that kid wins the war. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Youth Critic Podcast. I'm here with David Weiser from Film Assessment. Hey, everybody. It's good to be back. It's great having you, David. Uh, so we're we've been talking about the creator. We just got done talking with Kyle. Um, so what are your thoughts on the creator? I really liked it a lot. Um, I've been excited for it for like a, a few months, like at least since we got that first teaser for it. Because just the idea of like an original science fiction movie is kind of rare nowadays, um, especially one of like this scale, like kind of like a mid-budgeted sci-fi movie that looks like it cost maybe 200, 300 million, but it only costs 80 million. Like that was like incredible to me. And I was looking forward to seeing Gareth Edwards tackle something that wasn't um, attached to an IP. Like I haven't seen Monsters, but I've seen Godzilla and Rogue One. So I was looking forward to seeing him tackle an original concept um and I, I thought the trailers looked great i like john david washington and Gemma chan a lot and so i was like okay this looks like it's gonna be pretty cool um then i guess i 
just kind of due to the circumstances of the weekend, I wasn't able to see it till Sunday. So I kind of got to see it with the discourse in mind. And I wasn't really anticipating this movie to be really divisive. Like I thought it was either going to be a home run or is this going to be like kind of like, eh. <laughs> you know, I wasn't, I didn't think it was going to be like a crushing disappointment to anyone. And I guess I was surprised that it, uh, things were very split in that regard. So I kind of went into it with all of that in mind. And so I was trying to kind of piece out like, okay, this is where people are coming from with this and blah, 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 you know, but for me, I thought the movie worked pretty well on an emotional level. Like I could see some shortcomings in the script here and there, but I I thought overall, like I was like, okay, this is a pretty solid science fiction movie and it looks incredible. Um, like, man, the <laughs> just on a visual level, this is stunning. The cinematography, the visual effects are so seamless. Like this is like some of the best visual effects work of the entire year, like bar none. And um, yeah, I thought it was a really impressive movie. Um, John David Washington is great. I, I, I love seeing him in another lead role after Tenet and uh, Black Klansman. So um, I hope this uh, the box office doesn't put a hamper on that, but um, fingers crossed. And then um, I liked the performer that played Alfie, the, the young girl. Uh, she was great. Um, so yeah, that's kind of just kind of a general overview of my thoughts. For me, um, so I saw it, so I had the opposite, uh, circumstances you did. I mean, there was some already discourse on the movie, but when I was seeing it at Beyond Fest, um, but it wasn't like, it wasn't like an outcry, like, you know, it wasn't like, there was no... Like it wasn't almost it wasn't like a screaming pitch if that makes any sense like it was not a divisive like in fact more people that were had seen it were very much like praising i mean you know we both follow a lot of these people that you know did love it you know um and like brandon davy brandon davis um stephen ford like we, we were following these people that really really you know latched on and loved the movie and to me, it was very much like, you know, watching this and I can see like, you know, I think it is fair to say this is not like the most like top 10 sci-fi of all time. Yeah. I mean, I did never go into it with that burden of expectation because that's like a really high bar and I'm not ever like, I don't ever go into a movie saying this needs to be one of the greatest movies of all time in a specific genre or anything. Like, I think that's really fair to the filmmaker to like put that level of expectation on it. So I, I didn't go into it with that. I was just like original science fiction in the year 2023, just give it to me. And I'm, I want to support this so that we don't, this isn't the last time we get something like this, you know? Right. And I don't think this will be the last time just because we're, Oh no, I don't think so either. But I'm just saying like, that was kind of my mentality of like, I need, I really want to support this to make sure we keep getting uh, movies like this in the future that aren't based on IP, you know? Right. Well, I mean, like what I mean is, and the reason why I am kind of a little perplexed by the movie, not like completely working is because so far like in this year like the movies that have been the most successful are the ones that are like you know the most different like super mario brothers like you know is a new ip it's a new i mean it is like a familiar (laughs) it's a familiar ip 
but but it is like something that just hasn't like been milked to death in the in the, um, in the landscape yeah. of film um and plus so i mean you know mario so and again i'm not like a mario i'm not a fan of that movie but i will say like the reason why like barbie oppenheimer um in those in mario like the reason why those have been kind of like the three big home runs is because they are just so different from what the marketplace has offered that you know i was kind of looking at the creator like this could be a small hit you know or like a decent size hit because it's opening in september where there wasn't really a lot of competition and in fact the competition was leaving because of the writers or because of all the strikes and then all of a sudden all of a sudden within like a month like paw patrol 2 like gets bumped from august to september and then um saw x is like um we don't want to go up against five night at freddy's so we'll go we'll leave what was our traditional like release strategy of october and open at the end of september to play all throughout october and it kind of and just like you know old ways you know they die hard um of course paw patrol 2 is a big hit because it's the only kid movie and then saw x just so happens to be the best movie in the saw franchise apparently again i've not seen the movie i don't and i definitely and i don't think david and and i speak for david i don't think he's seen the movie either but um yeah it's interesting how this weekend kind of fleshed out in terms of like the divisiveness and um the word of mouth just hasn't been that strong in a weird way so going into it i was very much going into it at beyond fest i was very much like okay this is going to be original sci-fi i'm seeing it with a crowd of people that are going to truly truly appreciate it um not saying that you know other not saying that other times would not be appreciated but this is like the audience is built for and we had an absolutely great experience a great screening um you know all the way through it was an incredible way to watch the movie and you know and then i saw this movie in, again in imax where the imax projector breaks um we lose 15 minutes of the movie <laughs> um and yeah so my thoughts on the movie basically are i really do enjoy it i really i you know i still stand by my statement after beyond fest i think it's a really great movie and um it's one of the and and i think john david washington gives like one of the stronger best actor um you know performances of the year so far Mm -hmm. i think it's truly like this and and i feel like and also as a final note before you know i before you know we go further i think gareth edwards kind of looked at his first three movies realized what worked and what didn't work and did his absolute best to make a movie where all the stuff that did work was in this movie and eliminated as much of you know because to me i don't think it's a mistake of hiring john david washington who is filled with charisma but also has a range mm-hmm. as an actor. Like, I don't think that was a mistake on anyone's part, you know, and of course, hiring Gemma Chin, who is a good actress, but she's not the most known for her range, but she plays such a vital role in this movie. 
Um, so I, I feel like Edwards made this movie as smartly as he could, as you know, efficient as he could, not cheaply. I don't want to say cheap. You know, this movie's still an eighty million dollar movie, but he does it the most efficient way and the smartest way he could. And I feel like this is maybe to and I've seen monsters. I think this is his best movie. Mm-hmm. Like I think this is his best movie to date. I think this is him looking at you know everything he's done so far, and going, you know, this is my this is you know this is you know me learning from my mistakes, and presenting the best possible movie you know I can make. Um and yeah so. Um so yeah David any other thoughts before we go into spoilers. <laughs> Um, I do think in terms of like the financial outlook of the movie, I think the fact that it only costs 80 million is actually kind of the saving grace. And really, I think we're kind of seeing a trend with a lot of the movies post Barbenheimer. It's because that also happens to be post strikes is that I think the SAG strike is really having a huge impact. Well, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say in some cases, but I think it is affecting the box office for these releases because not being able to have the actors out there promote the movie, I think does make a difference. And I don't know how much of a difference John David Washington promoting this movie would have made because I mean, obviously he's led movies before, but in, I know Denzel's his father and stuff, but like, I don't know that he's like that level of, I don't know that he has that level of star power to bring people in just yet. I like, I think he's still kind of in the stages of building that. And so I'm maybe he could have drawn in um, some more tenant heads or something, but um, yeah. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, that's the other thing too. I mean, even, you know, we're, we're in this kind of rut where, I mean, even a haunting in Venice doesn't really work out, you know, um, I guess the nun is the only movie doing well because it's a brand like it's a, yeah. and you're opening in the fall. So it's going to bleed through October and do well enough. Um, But to me, it's like, I mean, I don't know what else they could have done. Like to me, this kind of feels like it's on, I don't want to say it's on the audience because eventually because we're because eventually like this movie could like go on iTunes tomorrow or you know some PVOD and be like the number one purchased movie you know on PVOD. I can see this movie finding new life for the people that didn't see it in theaters, discovering it on streaming or whatnot. Yeah, I can see that happening with this movie. Mm-hmm. Because I mean that's what happened with you know Prey, and it's kind of what's happening with uh, No One Will Save You, the new Hulu you know you know, bottle movie, what I call a Hulu bottle movie, sci-fi bottle movie, where it's like, you know, you just take one, you know, really good actress, you put them in, you know, a, like a $40 million sci-fi movie, and, you know, and, like, no one will save you is kind of having that success right now, because people can just watch it over and over and tell their friends, and so on and so on. Um, but here, it's like this movie, you kind of need to see it on the you kind of need to see it on the big screen to really mm-hmm. kind of under appreciate the scale that Edwards is putting on display here, you know, and for me, it's like, I think it will find its audience, even though it might bomb right now or yeah. But I think for now, like, you know, it, it will just take a while, but I will say like, you know, I mean, 
for the people that you know love original sci-fi, like been wanting original movies. Where are you at? I think this also. I mean, I'm not saying this will be the case, but it's a possibility. It could have kind of like a similar trajectory as like Elemental. It won't have like the family friendly appeal. I'm not saying it's going to make five hundred million dollars, but I'm saying it could have a similar kind of box office trajectory where it's viewed as a flop at first, but maybe it holds because if you look at movies releasing and for like the next month, two months, there's not really anything like the creator coming out. Like there's not really another science fiction movie, like unless you, I mean, I guess you could, to me, it feels like a stretch to call like the Marvels or uh, Songbird Ballad of Song. That one, it feels like kind of it. Well, that one maybe. Yeah. It's like the, those two, like, I don't really know that those are quite science fiction. Like, you know, they're, I mean, the Marvels is primarily like action comedy superhero movie, you know, and then Ballad of Somber, whatever the hell, Hunger Games mm-hmm. spinoff um, yeah. is I mean, like you know. kind of dystopian. I guess it's kind of sci-fi, but it's kind of like dystopian romance action. They have rainbow colored snakes, David. They have rainbow colored snakes. That's not sci-fi and I mean, I guess you could consider it. Um, I'm but kidding. I mean, really, that's like the next like somewhat sci-fi adjacent movie, or like I guess you could say either of those. And those aren't out for like another month, so I feel like mm. it's a possibility. I'm not saying it will happen, but there is a possibility. Maybe the creator finds uh, has some decent legs, and with only costing eighty million, and then like maybe the SAG after strike maybe they didn't spend as much on marketing because they were like, well, we don't have the actors, so we can't do these lavish premieres and or as lavish premieres as we would normally and stuff. So maybe they didn't, because normally like the uh, marketing and promotional budget is like basically the budget of the movie. So maybe they didn't spend quite that much. So it's like, so I feel like there's a chance this movie could possibly break even and that'd be cool, but who knows. We can go into spoilers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, one more thought on the box office is that I do believe that, you know, uh, you mentioned like there's you, you, there's basically a six, seven week window between this and other science fiction movies because Dune is left. <sighs> Sorry, I just had to exhale for that. Um, and, and also... <laughs> And also, I mean, like, you're right. Like, there's not much. And then I really do. I don't, I mean, so we're recording this on a Wednesday. Exorcist comes out this, you know, on Friday. It's not doing too hot. It's going to have, like, a decent size opening weekend because it's a horror movie opening in in October. And it's a Blumhouse movie. But I wonder what its optics are going to be for the rest of the month, given that Saw X is you know, doing, Saw X has actually got good word of mouth and we have Five Nights at Freddy's um, opening, you know, at the end of the month. So I just, like, I I just, I feel like Exorcist might be, you know, after a while, it might be forgotten, you know, in in favor of, you know, the Taylor Swift concert, which is going to be a big, which is, which looks like it's going to be a big opener, it's going to be a big move or concert movie. And then, you know, Killers of the Flower Moon, a lot of, you know, film aficionados like you and I will go and see it. So I wonder if there is, so I, you actually bring up a good 
interesting question like could you know the creator like hold its you know hold momentum through october so i i wonder i guess we'll have to wait and see um but yeah okay so spoilers spoilers we are going into spoilers all right so david uh, what's the first thing you want to mention in the spoiler um part of the show Mm, let's see I don't know. This is one of those movies that, even if you talk with it, talk about it within the context of spoilers, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of like big, heavy like spoiler moments in that sense. Like it's, it feels like this since it's like this like original science fiction movie, like kind of high concept sort of thing. I feel like a lot of it, like I, I would compare that. I'm not saying this movie is even like Avatar at all, but like in terms of both of those movies are more about the experiential more so than the plot like you know you don't like there's not a lot of plot spoil i mean there are spoilers for either of those like you can like nitpick or whatever but like like i'm struggling to think of something like now that like the gates are open like um i guess kind of in general like i i really liked the relationship between john david washington's character joshua and alfie like over the course of the movie and like um the kind of the begrudging like okay we got to take care of you and i thought there were like a lot of little there were some cute moments where like there's the whole thing of like oh i turned him off like he's he's i just turned him off like and then like the whole thing about like going to heaven and she's like well i i'm not gonna you're not gonna go to heaven because you're not good i'm not gonna go to heaven because i'm not a person that's like kind of in the trailer and the she get Alfie gets like the one f bomb in the movie. There's like a few points where I think they came or like they like almost had an f bomb or I thought they were going to, and then they don't, and then they give it to her, and I was like, okay, that that's hilarious. Wait, what was her f bomb? She had um, she was repeating something. I think it was when they met up with his friend and the um, his robot chick. And she was repeating something that Joshua had told her, but she added an F-bomb to it. Uh, I don't remember the exact dialogue, but it's in that section of the movie, someone asks her a question and she repeats what he had told her, but there's an F-bomb added to it. Oh, okay, okay, okay. All right. Uh, For me, it's the biggest point of the movie to me is i mean obviously the ending but <laughs> like i didn't want to jump that far ahead okay well let's just start right through the beginning here like i really do love like the opener you know where there is like so in gareth edwards godzilla you know we get the brian cranston uh, and his wife and then she dies and i kind of do love here like 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 watching this movie is like watching like the highlight reel of Gareth Edwards filmography so far, because it's like, you know, man loses his wife, like, you know, on the same day, like they have like the happiest day of their lives or whatever, (laughs) you know? And, you know, it's, you know, like, like I love it. And I do. And I, we were talking about the show earlier. You didn't get to see like the first, you know, you didn't get to see it the first like couple minutes, but I do love like the shot of like, you know, her running through the woods and running to the beach, you know, this great, beautiful shot with Hans Zimmer's score, you know, beaming in the background, you know, it's, I mean, it's truly, you know, incredible, cathartic, 
And also what's even great about that is we learn he basically doesn't see any AI, what Joshua doesn't see any AI as like a race or a, a, you know, a, a people of anything. You know, it. we open the movie with him not, no, not really, you know, seeing them. And even after, you know, his wife has died, she still, or, or he still, you know, excuse me, he still just doesn't see any AI as a person. He sees it even more as like, you know, as a, like, these are the people that took my wife away sort of thing. So I really do kind of like, like this whole dichotomy, you know, of him basically having to learn that you know ai you know having to kind of strip everything he knows and having to be confronted with you know is ai a real you know is it a real race is it a real person you know in the form of his child you know in alfie because alfie is basically his child uh, as we learn throughout the movie, but like the clone of his of his child, like I I don't know I I just I kind of love like the art the weird sci fi arc of this person basically having to go through like robotic hell to understand like you know his you know the horror of his you know er errors of you know understanding humanity and whatnot. I kind of like that approach. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, I do, I think what, so there's this sort of like, there's this kind of like sort of discourse you mentioned about the movie, and I feel like what the discourse is, like, I, because there's, so much of this movie is like, so, watching so many people die, watching so many, you know, Easterners die, and get like eviscerated, like, you know, in the most like, hardest pg-13 way imaginable and to me i feel like what gives the audience kind of the freedom not to enjoy it but to but to kind of understand the true you know apathy of the of the u.s army towards anyone that shelters you know ai and the reason why you know their acts are so heinous is you know alice and janey's speech at the pool about neanderthals mm-hmm. and how neanderthals they were you know you know they got a bad rap you know but you know they were just they were raped and murdered by smarter people the humans and then if, it's like this weird juxtaposition of like you just you know you keep trying to take control and then and in fact you think you're still you know you think you are still, you know, not the threat to humanity. You are not, you still think you're not the threat, but you hold, you know, you dangle this dagger shape, literally a dagger shape, you know, Death Star in front of the entire Earth, you know, to anyone that threatened you. Mm-hmm. So it's like, so I feel like with her speech and also this idea that, you know, no, you have the big dagger spaceship um dagger look like spaceship like you're in power you're in control but you were going to manipulate you know john david washington to do whatever you want like that i don't know and also i mean she just is like a true villainous role Mm -hmm. in this movie so i 
not to say that like excuses like not to say that you know it's an excuse for gareth edwards to do the opposite of oppenheimer um but i will just kind of say personally i i feel like there's enough there like gareth edwards is trying very much because i don't think he's shooting it in this raw raw way i think he's very much just trying um I think Edwards is trying to show like the, the true horror and impact of, you know, of peacekeeping, you know, of peacekeeping war, you know, in the face of, you know, what it means to, you know, to other civilizations, what our impact means to civilization, to other civilizations. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so yeah, in a way, Gareth Edwards is trying made a sci-fi movie about like the post 9-11 effect oh yeah in the world in the world so yeah um david uh well do you have anything um do you have anything uh else you want to point out um let me think i'm trying to think still in this first section of a movie um One thing that was like kind of an interesting concept to me was kind of the idea of like extracting someone's consciousness and like plugging it into a robot or an art of AI and like being like, okay, we're going to, we're going to get the information we need, but we only have like a limited amount of time or whatever. And so it's like, oh, okay. That's kind of, I don't know. That's, that seemed like kind of a neat concept. I don't think I've seen before. I'm not going to say it's never been in a movie before because there's a lot of science fiction movies, but it's not, it didn't, it's one that didn't feel like worn out. Um, and I liked the, the robot and AI designs, like the whole thing with like the hole in the back of their head. Like that was cool. Um, what else? I, I'm still trying to stay in this first section of the movie. I don't know. If, well, while you're thinking, or... I'll go. Ahead, I'll go ahead and say something that's kind of unique about the design. What I do love about it is it gives like the actors, like their full range of face. Like they're not having to mm-hmm. you. They're not having like their head or they're not having to have makeup. You know, on their face that will you know obscure their performance at all. They are still able to do that while, and even more so, they probably don't even have to have a lot of like, you know, physical makeup on because you can just add all that stuff that, you know, in post. So, yeah, I've been looking into a lot of interviews with like Gareth Edwards, and he's mentioned in a lot of them about how he kind of, so he comes from a visual effects background. And so that's mm-hmm. part of why the movie is is cheap. Is not saying eighty million dollars isn't is cheap, but like for a block sci-fi blockbuster, that's kind of that's not a that's not a lot, you know, relative oh, yeah, yeah. to blockbusters today. Um, the reason that it's made for as little as it is is that he they they so that instead of using a lot of like green screen, blue screen, or any like the, the volume. volume or whatever. Like they they just kind of shot a lot of things and kind of like superimposed the visual effects on after the fact, and they were kind of had a the the AI thing was something they kind of they had an idea that they kind of wanted the the whole, but like that was something they kind of discovered in the process of uh, the design after the fact, um, 
So yeah, he it was kind of interesting to know that like he approached it the opposite way that a lot of people typically do. Like normally they there's a lot of heavy like blue screen, green screen. They have no idea what they want and they don't know what the visual look of the movie is and they discover it in post. Whereas he kind of had it sort of mostly kind of figured out as they were going and they kind of superimposed what they needed to on top of it. And they I feel like that kind of helped in a way, like doing it that way made the visual effects blend more with the environment. So where it felt more seamless and that's like part of why they're as good as they are. So like to know, I don't know, that just makes me really appreciate him as a director and his like approach to, um, and not like trying to do things the way that like maybe studio or like the typical way of um, shooting visual effects, heavy sequences and stuff. Right. Well, I mean, you know, and I think for Edwards, too, I mean, he had a small crew. I mean, he kept everything kind of, you know, like there was only like a couple cameras for everything. Like the way this movie was made is like it's almost like monsters just on steroids because monsters, you know, the way he shot monsters is he kind of just took like Scoot McNary and his girl and uh, I think Scoot McNary's girlfriend at the time. And they were just like, okay, we're going to go to Mexico and we're just going to go shoot a bunch of stuff. They have one sound operator and they just basically filmed it like a documentary, like a low budget documentary. And then, of course, Edwards would, you know, superimpose all the monsters and post because he would do all the VFX himself. Um, and for this, it's like he kind of just did it on steroids, but like he still had a crew. He still had like sound people and an editor on set, you know. But I mean, it was not like, you know, but because they were going to, you know, very remote locations in Thailand and all over, you know, Eastern Asia, they couldn't really bring, you know, a lot of people anyway. They couldn't bring a lot of actors. They couldn't bring. So it was basically whoever they can get you know, fit on a boat and then they would be taken out to wherever and then they would just kind of work with, you know, the people, the villagers on the set and whatever. I mean, it was like, it's like, it's like the way we used to make movies in the 70s and 80s mm-hmm. where, or even more recently with the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, you know, but it's just done on like a fraction of the cost. You know, whereas now, of course, like as you mentioned, we use the volume, we use green screen, we use blue screen, and directors have no, they're just like always changing stuff all the time. So like, you know, they're, they're like, they, they look at the blue screen and like, okay, we're going to set the scene in Antarctica. Wait, no, we're going to set it now in the Bahamas. We're gonna, so it's like, so that's kind of like where the problem is with Hollywood. Whereas Gareth, I feel like he had like this vision and so he just did it as like you know a fit again as efficient as possible and yeah um and i do love the idea of the you know consciousness kind of thing you know even if it's a you know very body horror like moment um oh yeah absolutely you know um i do i even kind of like when they keep bringing it back with you know the one person who was shot in the village and she doesn't realize she's talking to Alice and Janie. And when she does, like, she's just in, like, smashed. Yeah. Oh. That was freaky. Um, Trying to think, like, you know, I do really like, again, I do really like the twist. 
of the movie um even though this movie the way i kind of describe it with the people it's like if you it's like john it's like J, john david washington's turn to do the pedro pascal you know character where he's oh, like yeah. the, he's like the dadding of you know he's he's gotta be a dad he's gotta be you know <laughs> you know he's gotta be logan you know he's gotta you know look after this little girl you know that's like the special child, you know, the one special child who has like, can, you know, make or break a humanity or whatever. So, but, you know, but I don't really mind it here, even though it's being done a lot now, I don't really mind it here just because it's so, it's like done, it's like doing butter pecan ice cream in a different way, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think like the performers are so good. That, like the emotion of their relation like you you buy into the emotional um verisimilitude like kind of at the movie like you kind of you're on the same wavelength as they are because they are so good and they sell really sell you on that bond um even if it does feel kind of rushed in a way in the sense of like at least like the um just in the kind of in the sense of like the pace of the movie in some ways like it kind of feels like they're running all over the place you know and the kid like it it doesn't always it doesn't have a lot of room to breathe and kind of just let them kind of just chill out and like get to know each other there are moments like that but they're kind of they're they're kind of um scarce i guess so like i guess that would be what but like i feel like because John David Washington and I forgive me for not knowing the the girl's name. Oh, I actually have it by the way. Um, I, okay, I found what it. is it's a Madeline Madeline Una Voyas. So for for John David Washington and Madeline to like they they really sell so much of that performance. Like, or their performances really sell the emotion of everything going on. That like I feel like that's what really makes the movie work. Like what, what like makes it sing, you know. Um, so I loved all this stuff with them. I, I wish we would have gotten more of it, but I also don't know what you would take away from to make room for that. So it's, I don't know. It's just kind of one of those weird things where it's like, maybe it would have been nice just to spend like a little bit more time with the two of them and maybe strip the movie down some if possible. But, uh, I don't really, I, I mean, I, that's just kind of like the extent of like where I'm looking at it. Like I can see areas where it could have been improved, but it's not like, it's like a huge glaring flaw of the movie for me. It's just something that I'm like, I feel like because just because their performances sell it so much that like it still works for me. So it's not like it didn't work. I just say like, okay, this is the area like for where things could have been beefed up a little. No, and, and, and you're right, though. I mean, I feel like this, you know, and also I feel like that's also part of the packaging, too, is that, you know, Gareth Edwards is trying to sell this movie, and it's like, you know, in simplest terms, it's a father-daughter story. Mm-hmm. It's a story of a father rediscovering, you know, his humanity through, you know, his, um, his clone daughter. So, and who also just so happens to be the special child. You know, so I, I I get like the I get, so it's like I I completely understand it all. You know, I get like how this works, and like I said, it's like to me, it's like you know, someone made butter pecan ice cream, but like that, but like a different way. So 
Speaking um, of ice cream, can we talk about the like Postmates bomber? <laughs> like, like how they have like they're like okay, we're we're gonna disguise this cop as like a Postmates delivery person. Mm-hmm. And he's gonna put a bomb in this package of ice cream so he can blow up the uh, <laughs> the um worst DoorDash driver ever. Yeah. yeah. That, um, that that was like I was that was a kind of crazy moment. Like I, I was wasn't expecting her to die because I was like, oh, she's like kind of. I mean, she's becoming she's kind of appearing in more things recently. I mean, she was in Last Jedi and Defy Bloods, so it's like okay, I wasn't expecting her to die that soon. <laughs> or else, I guess she's a robot or AI, so I don't know her consciousness to be terminated. However, you articulate that. Well, to me also, you know, I kind of also like the thread, too, of, like, you know, his friend Drew mm-hmm. um, is also having his, like, he's losing his, you know, Maya as well. You know, I liked that the that we saw the flashback, like, right before we meet him in the present day, and kind of, like, we see that he gave him, he gave him the advice, like, hey, don't fall for the AI, like, don't, like, actually fall in love. And then for us to come to the present day and see that he did this very same thing he told him not to. Like, kind of just like the hypocrisy, like, and kind of the juxtaposition of that um, transition between the the timelines. Like, as they're... I liked that the chronology... One thing I loved about this movie, um, for an original science fiction movie with a lot of interesting new concepts, it's not very exposition heavy. Like, it didn't feel like they took a lot of time to be like, okay, here's our new exposition dump. We're just going to explain everything that's going on and how, like, it felt like they just kind of like, okay, we're immersing you in the world. This is just, you're just going to see things, how they work. We're not going to like sit there, like, and it's kind of intuitive in a way where you can pick up on it, like visually, like with the transferring the consciousness thing, but like, um, we're not going to sit around and like explain it to you in layman's terms and like beat you over the head with exposition making sure you understand every little finite detail of this world. That's, that's one thing I really appreciate about this movie because like a lot of science fiction movies can fall into that. And sometimes it's, it's for their betterment. Sometimes it's like, um, well, now you're kind of dragging the movie down to explain all these high concept ideas. And I think this struck a nice balance of providing enough exposition for you to pick up on things but not bogging down the movie in the exposition. Right. And, well, I mean, there's so much already laid out in that first, like, 10 minutes of the movie of, like, not only the characters, their relationships, but just of, like, why we are where we are at. And then, of course, you know, there's some really great moments. I mean, you get the great moment with uh, Ken Watanabe and he explains like it was a human coding error or it was a coding error, excuse me, that blew up New York. But of course we're blamed for it. And then like he, like he lays out the terms of like what will happen if AI win. And it's like nothing. We just want to not fight. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like we just don't want to fight anymore. Like it, and, and you just like, you know, you feel it like, you know, Everything is just being ran by fear. Everything is just been ran by fear of the primal fear of survival. Yeah, and, I liked him and his like band of fighters. I thought they were pretty cool. And then they have the the suicide bomber robot, which um, 
in one of the interviews with Gareth Edwards, he talks about that moment. And he says that that was actually an idea or like kind of an unused idea from Godzilla that kind of was evolved into what it became like the, the high camp moment of the year. Um, like that was just quality camp. Like that had me laughing so hard. <laughs> well, what's so great about that whole section is, so there's a moment in the movie where they're on the boat and they're trying to get back to their base and you just hear like everyone like in like they're found out or whatever and the you know nomad blows them up and all you don't even see like you know the village blow up or anything you just hear it go quiet you know going back and not to not to bring keep bringing star wars into it but i mean it's it just like it echoes what obi-wan says in no, a new hope where it's just like all the screaming you know there's all the screaming and terror and then just silence suddenly all these voices were screaming in terror and now they've been silenced yeah it's i not to not to you know again not to downplay the homage but but also like you know it's just it's like edwards kind of took that monologue from or that just like little line of dialogue and just like actually put it in a movie and, mm-hmm. and put it in like in what you know was probably what obi-wan probably was hearing you know in just in a different context different franchise or different you know everything and it's just so it, to me it's the most chilling part one of the most chilling scenes i've seen in a movie you know and uh yeah and also the you know we have to you know you brought up this whole thing at camp i kind of love that you know, they're trying to blow up this one of the U.S. Army, like, trucker or tanks. And they can't do it. And then the monkey has to finish the job. <laughs> and Yeah, that was, that was hilarious. You know, it's hilarious, but also it's perfect because it's like nature, like, nature only sees one way of healing. And it's just, it's just fuck, kill the humans. <laughs> just kill the humans that are just blowing everything up. You know, inciting with the the AI, it's like I don't know. Like, I just love that you know that just little touch of like you know, no nature's way of healing is just to, to, to destroy the humans, <laughs> to destruct mm-hmm. the humans. Up. But uh, I'm trying to think, um, love it when Alice and Jamie dies. You know, even <laughs> what's even great about it, and we mentioned it with Kyle, uh, was Alfie stops the bomb. Like, oh yeah. Like she fulls on stops at saving her life, and then they just start like almost shooting at her, and then she turns it back on to save her life, or she like lets go of like whatever she was holding to you know to keep it off. And like I, I thought that was cool for like the the moment where Ken Watanabe shows up with like the like rocket launcher or whatever, or the, mm. the, the like grenade launcher or whatever, and then like he gets shot. And you're like, oh man, <laughs> and then like the uh, the whole thing about Maya being alive, but it's like we're keeping her alive, but we can't really like revive her. Like she's basically in a coma, and then like for him to having to like for him to be forced like for this whole mission, like for his like his whole primary motivation to be to try to save his wife, thinking she's still alive, and then find her still alive, but like on the brink of death and have to and then like alfie like begging him to kill her like to like kind of put her at rest 
And like that was just like, oh, that was that was a gut punch um, because it's I don't know. That just feels like, man, you feel terrible for him because it's like you finally get what you want. But it's not really like, you know, like you, you find her after all of all you've been through and you're being asked to do this like. Ugh. Well, it's the symbolism of, you know, of grief, like we're like we're keeping the dead like yeah. the more and more we keep searching for you know to bring ways bring someone back from the dead or to keep them alive either you know in a metaphorical or the physical sense you know the more we're hurting them so to speak or like hurting their legacy or yes so it's the most appropriate way to just let it go and let you know mm-hmm. and let you know something new prosper you know um which is alfie you know and and i loved the whole thing about oh well alfie is actually based on your unborn child who is uh, destroyed by the the nuke or whatever or is that what happened to the baby or yeah okay well the baby is dead and like real like they lost i get the baby i guess when the bombing happened and then Mm -hmm. but she had already been like kind of growing the embryo that would become alfie Mm-hmm. Um, before the baby, before anything had happened. So basically, what would have happened was, you know, Alfie would have been born, and their baby would have been born. I guess, and I guess they would be raised sort of like as twins in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, I also liked the, I guess, sort of twist that like she replaced her father as like the head of the AI faction. Like, where it was, like, oh, and then I thought it was cool that they, like, just in terms of, like, the world building and fleshing out, and how, like, they were kind of, like, it felt like, kind of, like, monks, like, at their, like, they had this, like, I felt like, I thought it was cool that there was, like, a spiritual aspect to technology, like, with, like, the AI, like, they had their own temples, and, like, they, like, had their own conceptions of an afterlife and whatnot, and I, I don't know, I just thought that was really neat. And I hadn't, that's one thing, that's one thing in this movie that I don't think I've ever really seen in a movie, um, a science fiction movie, like something along those lines. Not that I can think of off the top of my head, maybe if like I did like a deep dive, maybe some had scratched the surface of something. But I thought that was a really cool concept as well. Like this idea that like these, um, like these robots or AI, like this, like artificial consciousness is more spiritual than these actual humans. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's like one, one of the most interesting parts that like of their, you know, of what they're trying to assimilate to, you know, human culture is, you know, this idea of, is there deities, is there gods, is there, you know, like what, what can, what do, what, you know, is our, you know, what is our kind of deity, what is our creator, if you will, you know, that's not, you know, humans, like, what is, you know, what is the thing, where, where is our, like, you know, ground zero, where is our, you know, this is, this is our creator, so, I mean, that is such an interesting idea, and for it to be, you know, Maya, it's, it brings this whole interesting god complex of, like, you know, if Alfie, is like Jesus Christ for these for the, for the AI. Then you know Joshua in the way Maya is basically basically God and my and Joshua is basically Jesus or um, Mary. So 
it's like this interesting idea of like how religion and everything kind of intertwines and um in such a way to where you know and also it's you know and also it's you know it becomes a sad chosen one narrative for Alfie because she has to be she has to be the chosen one for everyone she has to be the new the new Narmada at the end of the movie like mm-hmm. she's too important to not to she's too important to live to not die but you know but her father can save her her or joshua can save her and i loved the scene where he goes to save her where, where you're like assuming that he's there to kill her or like he's being ordered to do that and there's the payoff to that like thing that's been threaded through the whole movie with them saying oh he's just uh turned off or like they're they're on standby or whatever yeah so like for him telling her go on standby so we can fake your death and then we can go take out nomad like i thought that was pretty cool (laughs) i was like this is awesome um nice twist uh, kind of playing the the humans and then like getting up there i liked the whole thing that was like well we have like now in this world we have like space travel like commercial space travel like mm-hmm. that was cool i mean we've seen that in a lot of science fiction movies like 2001 and whatnot but um i liked how that integrated and how they like docked on the nomad and he like opened the um the the i don't know the, he he, he jettisoned them the, all out yeah <laughs> and like how alfie like because alfie's an ai Alfie didn't require like a suit or anything like Alfie was just like okay I don't need to breathe oxygen like and then he had to have the the suit and then I like the whole thing of like oh well um Alfie goes off to take off the thing and then on her way back she discovers the Maya AI's lookalikes and she's like well I want her like I I'm I'm gonna take her I'm gonna take her body so we can plug in her I'm gonna plug in her consciousness because I miss her you know, like, that's my mother, basically. And then, like, so, like, there's a little section of the, like, when, when she just left her in the field, like, I was like, okay, is there going to be, like, a payoff to her doing that? Like, like because, like, otherwise, that would just seem weird to just abandon her in the field. So I'm glad there was payoff in the eventual end. But um, then there's the whole thing of, like, she has to save Joshua because he's running out of oxygen. So they... um depressurize the thing and try to go out the skate pod and then this little robot thing tries to take out Alfie and then um, Joshua has to basically put Alfie in the skate pod. Alfie's able to sort of save Joshua or at least like enough for him to like go have a final moment with the AI Maya and then Alfie goes back to the surface of Earth and Nomad blows up and we lose Joshua but um, the AI win the day. Well, it's also, you know, the end of Rogue One where, you know, two people hug in the face of destruction. You know, and, um, but also, like, but it has, like, much more weight. Like, you know, and I really do like Rogue One. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to ever diss on Rogue One. Um, but the thing that I really like here is that I love, like, all the symbolism of, like, you know, the mother and father coming together like what saves like what balances out humanity and artificial intelligence is love is true love you know and and basically what creates the new age is love 
So like I, I just really have loved that message, you know, throughout. And of course, Hans Zimmer's score, you know, at the very end is, you know, super triumphant. It's super, like it really is powerful. And of course, you know, like I mentioned, you know, the, the M, like the symbol M that the thing makes at the end, it's like, it's just a perfect way to tie off the movie. It's, mm-hmm. You know, it's Alfie, she's crying, laughing, or crying, you know, tears of joy that, you know, you know, that the symbolism, you know, that her fan, her parents are dead, but they'll always, like, be with her. It's, I yeah. don't know, it's perfect. I liked that the final shot was her smiling, like, I don't know, that just felt, like, for a, like, a big sci-fi movie like this, to end on something so, like, intimate and personal, like, I, I just thought that was, like, a nice touch. Mm-hmm. and um I, i'm gonna mention it again i i love like gareth edwards uses claire de lune even though we all know <laughs> that godzilla 2 uh used that so much in their marketing um <laughs> so yeah. i i that's what i want someone to ask like gareth edwards like, like gareth did you realize like how cheeky that would be <laughs> um to put that in okay. your movie <laughs> knowing that that's basically from godzilla 2 <laughs> I wonder what um, Tony so, Gilroy's I, I the know, creator I, I, would have been like. <laughs> it have been, you know, well, if you think about it, one, the birth of Rogue One, like, kind of like we got Andor and the creator out of it, like, kind of it's like the creator or like, in a way, we kind of got both of those things out of it, so we kind of won, like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You gotta like, take your wins. Yeah, you gotta take your wins where you can find them. You know, because I mean, if it wasn't for te- if it wasn't for Rogue One's like fucked up production, and you know, it w- we would never have an Andor, and then, you know, I don't know. Like I I do enjoy it, and I'm all, and I'm so glad that Gareth Edwards did come back to make movies because it kind of did seem like yeah. he was almost in director jail. Yeah, <laughs> even though like Rogue One is like one of the most successful movies ever made. <laughs> Oh, in some of the interviews, apparently he he just took a hiatus. Like it wasn't even like it it wasn't even like he wasn't in demand or anything. Like he just wanted to break. <laughs> so he just took that time off to travel, and so apparently he traveled to East Asia, and that's part of what inspired the movie. Good for him. I'm part so, of it. I'm so because I mean that's kind of like what a lot of the Star Wars directors that actually did get to make their movies. That's kind of like what they did. You know, they kind of just have taken some time off. I mean, J.J. Abrams really didn't do anything directing-wise for a couple, till he signed on to Rise of Skywalker. And then Ryan Johnson... Since then, he's taken a pretty much hiatus. Yeah. And then Ryan Johnson um, has basically become, like, the king of murder mystery movies. Uh, and then Ron Howard's still making movies... And he's yeah, chugging along. Yeah, he's chugging along. He's making hillbilly hig, hill elegy over here. You know, and like thirteen lives or something. Yeah, the mighty movie. You know, he's still making movies. So yeah, and Colin Trevorrow got to make Jurassic World Dominion. So I guess it all worked. out. Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, hey, you know, he, he at least you know he got to just ruin one franchise. Yeah, you almost could have ruined two. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, we'll we'll see whatever happens to Colin Trevorrow. Um. Uh. So okay. All right. So with that, um, is there anything else to talk about the creator? Not that I can think of at this moment. I'm sure there are things to talk about. But... <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh. So with that, I don't have anything else. Uh. So David, where can the good people find you? And do you have a blog? Uh, you can find me um, at Wiser underscore David on um, X or um, I guess pretty just we'll any social it. media, X, Twitter, whatever. Um, but I don't know. We'll see how long that even lasts. But I, I feel like I've been saying that. So I guess it kind of persists. Um, and then I have a blog called Film Assessment. You can find me at those handles. Um it's not super active, but uh, if you want to go check it out, I have reviews on things. Mm-hmm. And the blog itself is just called Film Assessment. So Nice. Nice, nice, nice. I'll have links in the descriptions below. Please check them out. Um, yeah, thank you all so much for doing Thank you all so much for listening. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at MovieKale. That's where you can get all the information on all the podcasts I do, including from the top, the ultimate film retrospective where we're currently reviewing all the movies for my, for Michael Mann's filmography ahead of Ferrari. Um, and right now I think we're on to insider next week is Ali. Uh, so, uh, please check those out. I'll have a link to, cause it's a separate podcast, but I'll leave a description or I'll leave a link in the description to that podcast. So please check it out. Um, And of course, just follow me on Twitter for all the updates. Thanks, everyone. Um, We'll be back with you. We'll be back soon. I don't know if we're going to do Exorcist Believer. Um, I I doubt we will do Taylor Swift. I doubt it. But most likely we will be back um, in a couple weeks for Killers of the Flower Moon. So thanks, everyone. What do you want, sweetie? For robots to be free. Oh, we don't have that in the fridge. How about ice cream?